Hello and welcome to the Red Box podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Well, there are now just two weeks to go until the EU referendum. If you haven't made your mind up yet, you're not alone. Polls suggest that up to one in five voters, especially women, are undecided. And strangely, that number is rising as June the 23rd approaches. This week, we hope to make sense of the campaigns, what the winning arguments might be, and if anyone can predict the result. Matthew Shaddock from Ladbrokes will explain that the Remain vote is still the gambler's expectation, even as money is piled on leave. Claire Eames from the polling firm Ipsos Mori examines how much money you would need to gain or lose to change how you'll vote. But first, Michael Savage, chief political correspondent of The Times, on how the real campaign isn't the one you'll see on TV or on your doorstep. After the general election, the Tories boasted of having a secret weapon in helping them secure a surprise majority. A team of pointy heads who identified a few thousand voters in key seats and targeted them on Facebook with information tailored to their own concerns, trying to convince them to back the Conservatives. The same pointy heads are trying to repeat the trick for the Remain campaign, but will this secret Facebook offensive work? So, Michael, talk us through, how does this work in practice? How does how, how do they think that they're going to win it on Facebook? Yeah, so the jargon of this is uh, one is micro-messaging and the other is segmentation. So, segmentation first. What these people try to do is find the voters who they think could support their cause, not the people who are definitely going to vote for them or definitely going to vote against. They find these undecided, sympathetic voters. They break them down into different groups along the lines of their concerns, parents, grandparents, do you run a business, that sort of thing. And once they've broken them down into those groups, they then try to target them with specifically made messages. So if you have a small business, you'll get bombarded with information about the effect on small businesses, the other business leaders who are backing Remain in this case. And the level to which you can do this is now really improving. So for instance, Facebook allows you to cut up voters in such a way and to such a level that you can now, say, find all the Chelsea supporters in uh, Redditch and target them with a, an ad that features Chelsea and all the risks of foreign players who perhaps couldn't come here, for instance, if we were outside the EU. So that's the idea. It worked in the election quite well, we're told. But that was a scenario where you can identify the really important constituencies and focus on those voters who are going to really make the difference. So it's a bit of an open question as to whether the same tactics can work in a national referendum where there's two different answers. Can you find those voters and can you target them with the right information? So it's an open question as to whether you can transfer it from the election to the referendum. And what's interesting about this is you've got the same people who worked for the Tory party last year are doing it for the Remain campaign while we're having the same argument with the Leave campaign, claim they've got the ground troops and they're going to have three million conversations on polling day Mm. in an almost exact mirror image of the conversation that Labour was having in the the last election where they said they were going to speak to five million people. But (laughs) they wanted to fog people. Yeah, well, actually, as Labour MP said afterwards, it's it's no point to having five million conversations if the conversation ends with, I'm voting Conservative. Mm. The question here is... Can you transfer it from one to the other? So the Leave people in the Leave campaign say, well, we're doing a bit of our own micro-messaging ourselves, but actually you can't really read this across because we find, they say, that there are some very simple messages that actually work across the board. And so the one they look at is the idea of the money we give to the EU and what could you spend that on as an alternative? And they, so they say the message that 
spend this money on the NHS rather than sending it to the EU is so powerful, you may as well just blitz that with as many people as possible, and actually it's quite convincing. There's a bit of kidology in there as well, because both campaigns will be doing <laughs> stuff that they won't be telling us about. Well, that was the thing, and we only really found out about the Tory Facebook campaign exactly. after the event last year. Claire, what do you make of this? Do you think Facebook, is it all going to be played out on Facebook? Probably not. Um, only three-fifths of people, according to our Ipsos Mori tech tracker, are on social media so you're missing quite a lot of people and particularly those sort of Brexit voters that remain want to convince they tend to be sort of older people who are less likely to be on Facebook so that's something that they're going to have to worry about. That said, I mean, it's worked quite well in business. We've used targeted advertising all over the place. So I think it's if they're using it alongside other campaign strategies, then it's it's worth doing. But I wouldn't say it's going to all play out on Facebook. And presumably polling firms play a role in this because you're, you help them find the segments of people that they, they, they need to be carved up into, presumably. Yeah, well, we do, yeah, we do segmentations for both uh, the private and the public sector. Um, and we also, I mean, we use Facebook, actually. We're using Facebook now to help us sort of test the, the right ads for um, for our clients. We don't necessarily just do it using a, a traditional sort of polling technique. So we all need to be using these tools, but I wouldn't say that it's the, the going to be the be-all and the end-all. Matthew, what do, what do you make of this? Do you, do you think it could work? Or is it just actually a bit of sort of propaganda? We've got more likes than you and we've got better geeks than you. Do you think? Do you think it? it, it no, I mean, I, it's certainly pl- it's certainly plausible. I mean, I think it's going to have to be a very, very close overall result for this to make any difference. And, and as to Michael's point about how effective it was the general election, well, the, the, uh, and there was some evidence that the Tories did better in certain areas where they really needed to do better, particularly sort of Liberal Democrat constituencies, and perhaps that was because they targeted those people much more efficiently, uh, and the marginal value was very big there. But when you're talking about one national campaign with just one big vote then that kind of level of detail is not as likely to make such a difference. Because in a, in a swing seat in the southwest, they yeah. could, 2,000 votes was enough to Yeah, exactly. If it over. turns out... They 2,000 just, votes in a referendum is neither here nor there. Yeah, so if it turns out they had you know very cleverly managed to divert their message and their resources to exactly the right people in exactly the right places in 2015, that's great, but it's not going to make so much difference this time. It's stating the obvious, but... You can segment voters and find the right voters all you like. If you haven't got the message to deliver the right verdict, then the whole thing is completely pointless. So at the election, um, the Conservatives alighted on this technique of saying that Ed Miliband would be in the pocket of Nicola Sturgeon. It was extremely powerful, played to all the weaknesses of Ed Miliband. It was plausible. Uh, It worked. If the Remain campaign don't have a similar powerful argument, then the whole thing might be rendered completely pointless. I think the, the best thing they could use Facebook for would be to get the, the younger voters out. Yeah. Uh, we, we know that younger people are half as likely to, to vote as those aged over 65, um, and they're much more likely to feel that they're going to be worse off if we leave the EU, um, much more likely to vote Remain. So if they're going to do anything, I would suggest that's where they should focus. But of course, there's not long to convince people to <laughs> actually register. And, and the other thing is, the closer we get to the referendum, the more social media, Facebook and Twitter, just gets full of loads of stuff about the referendum. Quite a lot of it not entirely grounded in fact. But there's so so just because the official campaigns are putting stuff out to people, 
that's just part of a timeline, mm. uh, and and quite a lot of it is quite. And you know, people, do people end up just becoming completely blind to it or not trusting yeah, well, it? Well, absolutely. And actually, on Facebook, you're not competing with rival campaigns. You're competing with uh, photographs of grandchildren, and that's the sort of thing people uh, use social media <laughs> for. I might just say on the point of voter registration, Facebook might actually intervene here itself because it started a a voter registration drive of its own last week, and you could argue that uh, is biased in favour of Remain because the um, point being made that younger people... Are overwhelmingly um, in favour of Remain. Indeed. Well, it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll probably never know whether or not it works because if Remain do win, they'll say it was down to Facebook, and if they don't, it'll be down to something else. So, exactly. Uh, we, we shall see. Uh, Claire, let's move on. Let's talk about the money in voters' pockets. So how much money could make you change your mind? Away from the debate on sovereignty, borders and exports, we polled voters to see if they would switch sides if they were better off or worse off if we were to leave the EU. Those planning to back Remain were more likely to switch than leavers when just £500 was at stake. This is when the campaign gets personal. Now, this is really interesting, this, the, and, and particularly, I, I thought it was interesting that Remainers were more susceptible to questions of money in their pockets. It, it seems like leavers are leavers regardless. Is that what you found? Yes, they are generally more steadfast in terms of how they're planning to vote. Uh, we found that 13% of uh, Remain voters would switch to leave if they uh, were going to be better off by £500. And interestingly, 41% said they would become don't knows. So there's sort of a greater... The sort of halfway to switching. Indeed. Yeah. Um, whereas among among leavers, half as many, just 7%, said that they would switch to remain if Brexit was going to cost them personally £500. But I think it's quite interesting that a significant third would move from leave to don't know. So there is this sort of giving them something to think about, giving leave voters something to think about. And again, we found that we did something similar with um, immigration figures. We, we gave people hypothetical scenarios there. And we found that cash in your pocket created more instability among the Brexit vote than immigration. Do you think that's because immigration can sometimes seem a bit removed as an issue? It's something that people care very passionately about, but money in your pocket, everybody's money in their pocket doesn't get more personal than that. Quite possibly. I mean, the rhetoric around the Leave campaign is focused on sort of the more abstract concepts of sovereignty. Um, but arguments about sort of what you would have in your pocket is perhaps more likely to impact these Brexit voters. And the interesting thing is that the Remain campaign are always said to do better on the economic argument, whereas the Leave campaign do better on immigration. So would you expect the closer we get to it, that more people tip towards Remain? I'm, I'm not going to predict that. But I mean, we, we do know that the majority of people, including many Leave voters, believe that um, if we leave the EU, the economy, particularly due to things like direct imports from EU member states, will be worse off. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be translating into how people think they personally will um, will fare. So people's standard of living, I, th I think it's around three in five of us think this will be unchanged if we were to leave the EU. A lot of uncertainty. Now, Michael, at the weekend, Boris Johnson was on the Andrew Marr show and got embroiled in this sort of conversation about the hockey stick or the Nike tick of the economy goes down a little bit and then it f fires up gloriously after Brexit. And they actually had a conversation about exactly what shape a hockey stick was. But but this is this is the, this is the thing that the Brexiteers dare not say, is that a small, yeah. small bit of pain is a price worth paying. Yeah, and actually, when you listen to what they're saying, there's also a bit of saying that Remain will create this situation simply by talking the country down so then it becomes a sort of patriotic call that uh, you've got to ignore this stuff because the Remain campaign are creating instability by talking about instability in the event of Brexit. I, w I would say that 
this whole idea that people are worried about their finances and they're not translating into leave or remain switching, it strikes me there's quite a lot of potential here for the sort of surprise result we saw at the, the general election. People go into the booth and in the privacy of the booth, do they think, well, actually, you know, this is all too risky to my own finances? And even though they feel maybe they've got a patriotic to, to leave, they actually end up remaining. There is potential there, surely, for that. Matthew, what, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually almost hit upon the key point as to why the betting markets still have remain ahead that people are expecting that on voting day the status quo, the less risky option, as it's been quite successfully portrayed in my opinion, will convince a lot of undecided wavering voters to go their way. And there's actually quite a lot of evidence that in referenda like this around the world, that's exactly what tends to happen. Not certain to happen, but there's a tendency, one could argue that's a, a bit of what happened in Scotland in 2014. So these questions are really, really important and they could be a, a big factor in deciding the result. And particularly in a debate where everything can be quite abstract at times, whether it's talking about sovereignty or border controls or you know unelected elites in Brussels, and all that can feel a million miles away from somebody just going about their daily lives. Because actually, if you bring it right down to, I, don't, I just don't get all that other stuff, but am I going to be better off or not? Yeah, I, mean, I had a question with Claire about this. I don't know how the question was phrased, but was this sort of, let's just add an extra 500 quid onto the forecast, or was this, you will be £500 better off guaranteed if this happens? It was a hypothetical scenario. Yeah. So we gave them um, different figures, actually. So 50 quid, 100 quid, 250 quid, 500 quid. And it was if, the, if we were to leave the EU, you would be that number better or worse off um, given to sort of remain or leave voters. OK, because, I mean, a part of the problem, obviously, is that the economic forecasts of both sides are, I wouldn't say unbelievable, but there's just so many, the, the, the margins of error with these forecasts are ginormous. When voters are asking, we want facts, we want to know what's going to happen, well, it's just impossible. But if you actually give them a scenario like, like you have, where you're saying, this is what's going to happen, then it's interesting that it does seem to make a big difference. Yeah. It was certainly a hypothetical as opposed to what Ipsos <laughs> Murray believes yeah. will happen. We certainly not and in what that about, business. what about for £50? Pounds? Were people willing to switch for £50? Pounds? Presumably well, not many. Interestingly, only two-thirds of um, Remain voters say they would definitely still wrote, vote Remain, even if they were only 50 quid better off. Wow. This is, this is all up for grabs. I mean, it's, good for, it's good for journalistic trade, this idea that it's all to come down to the wire. Whether or not it's good for the country, I think, is probably another... Another question altogether. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the question of um, uh, whether immigration is stronger for leave, clearly, and then the economy for, for remain, there are definitely people in the leave camp who, you know, really want to pivot towards the economy and find an economic argument for leaving the EU. And that really seems to be about this figure of what would you spend the money on if we weren't sending it to Brussels? And then we had a bit of that last week with this talk about cutting VAT on fuel bills. And that, that mm. felt like... that. The Leave campaign parked themselves firmly in the money in your pockets camp. Absolutely, and the, but then, the they've, idea of then an they've twisted back round now to just talking about immigration and borders. And I suppose the temptation for them to keep doing that sometimes is too strong. Yeah, because it clearly has a lead on on that area. But I think the the logic of trying to make an economic argument for leaving if you want to actually win the thing is probably right. We know that people generally don't associate themselves that closely to the EU. I think only one in three people think that um, the EU is an institution that affects their daily lives, as opposed to 62% their local council and 55% central government. So anything that is going to help them care a bit more is is likely to have more of an impact. But that's where the, neither that's where the Remain side don't have the sort of patriotic argument that the union campaign had in the run-up to the Scottish referendum. There was a sort of we are together as a whole and wrap yourself in the Union Jack. Nobody's going to wrap themselves. I'd be amazed if anyone wrapped themselves in the, in the EU flag in the run-up to June the 23rd. 
So they have to appeal to a slightly different argument. Yes, I think they're using perhaps the more logical and financial arguments, but trying to turn that into the more personal financial as opposed to the sort of macroeconomic is perhaps more likely to have an impact on individuals. Well, let's talk about let's talk about real money now. Let, or Matthew, let's talk about the betting markets. Sure. Well, at Labrooks, we've seen huge rise in support for leave in the referendum betting markets over the last two or three weeks. Uh, hit, a new, hit a new high last week. Um, for the first time, the majority of money staked was for a Brexit verdict. But just the outer shouldn't get too excited. I mean, the odds for leave have been cut sharply in the space of a few days, but this means their chances of victory have risen from 21% to today's 31%. So more money has been staked on Brexit than Remain in the last week or so, but you still don't think it's going to happen? No, personally, I think uh, Remain is still favourite, but my personal view on the outcome is really neither here nor there. The betting markets are decided, where they are right now is decided by the weight of money on each side, and I think there's another factor to take into account here. Yes, the polls have been a little bit better for Leave in the last week or so, although arguably they haven't changed that much. But what we found that is in the run-up to these sorts of events, the nearer you get to polling day, the more the kind of people active in the betting markets are the kind of people who aren't that interested in politics. So if you think about <laughs> weeks and months in advance, the people having a bet then are the people who are really engaged, kind of probably Remainers, I guess. Yeah. The nearer you get to polling day and we see our customers in the betting shops who are normally might have a bet on the football or the racing getting involved in something they feel strongly about although they don't generally care that much about politics most people are going to be more likely to be leavers so i think that's a kind of skew a bias in the betting markets which we are probably going to oppose in some ways in other words i think we'll end up being in a situation where leave will cost us money in terms of the betting markets uh, even though it's fairly even, even at the moment. Is it a bit like sort of granny putting £2 on something on, on the Grand National? Yeah, the, yeah. Turning up on the day and, and having a flutter rather than the people who might have studied the form for, for weeks and That's months. That's a very good analogy, Matt. That's good, yeah. I I'd like that. I like that a lot. I shall start using that. But, um, the, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, all the way through the campaign, the, the balance of the actual amount of bets being placed has been quite close because we've always had quite a lot of small bettors betting on leave and the bigger bettors betting on remain. And... In fact, the average stake on Remain is around £350. On Leave, it's about 50 quid. So that tells you a bit about the kind of people doing Because we, we, We've written a bit about this on Redbox before. That the, Although the, the, the number of bets is pretty evenly split, yeah. the amount of cash up until last week was all the money was going yeah. on Remain. And in the sort of brutal world of betting, all that matters is the amount of cash. So ten, one £10,000 bet is worth the same as £10,001 bets, even though if you were looking at this in a sort of pollster or pollster's eyes, you might think, well... Actually, isn't it significant that so many more people are individuals having a bet? But then betting isn't a proxy for voting. What are the biggest bets you've had? Are you allowed to say? I am allowed to say. We haven't had any enormous ones on this one yet. I mean, we had some really, really big bets on the Scottish referendum two years ago. So far, we've taken quite a few five-figure £10,000, £20,000 bets. But we're still waiting for someone to come out of the woodwork and ask for half a million pounds one way or the other. And we're certainly open for business for things like that. Well, that would make things interesting. I certainly think that reflects perhaps the level of interest in this versus the Scottish referendum. As, as we were saying earlier, this is not a topic that people generally get that excited about. We, we asked the public in our Ipsos Mori polls, what are the issues that you think most sort of impact Britain? And between 2005 and 2015, only 5% of people would, would mention the European Union. It's not something until recently that we cared about. We weren't desperately asking for a referendum and on I, this. But I think that's why people are now so confused, because at least with the general election, most people have a starting point of what they did last time. So I voted Labour last time, am I going to switch? Or, you know, you have a, 
you have a centre of gravity that you can make a decision. Most people just haven't thought about this before. We were in the EU, and that was that was where we were. Now, everyone, there's a sort of desperate hunt for facts which don't exist. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, we've seen a decline in party politics generally, but people at least sort of understood how, understand how things work in a general election. Here you've got party split, which is very confusing for people who might be looking for a, for a shortcut, for a heuristic, for how they yeah. should vote on the 23rd of June. I mean, one of the, uh, Claire mentioned it, one of the things that's very hard to predict is what the overall level of turnout's going to be. Now, you can bet on that as well. And that's sort of midpoint now. <laughs> oh, is, you, 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 we can bet on anything, can't we? <laughs> what are you thinking? Well, our midpoint now is 64 and a half, which is quite close to a general election level. Um, I mean, I started off thinking this will be lower than people think. This will be in the 50s somewhere. People just don't care about that as much as maybe some of us think. But as I say, the, the, the gamblers have been buying that up. There have been people backing it to be over 70. There have pe- been people having bets on it being higher than the 84% we got in Scotland, which is wow. a 25 to 1 shot. I don't fancy that very much myself. <laughs> so I'm holding out that it's going to be a bit lower than expected, but our customers seem to think that um, it might get quite high. That's really interesting, because after the um, 1974 election, the referendum in 1975 was 10 percentage points lower. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm surprised people think it'll be that high. I mean, I, I, it'll probably, I reckon, be somewhere between the, the 84% that we had for, for the Scottish independence referendum and the the rather pathetic 41% we had on um, AV. I know that's not that's not really stating much. <laughs> no, you're going to make my That's what we call quite a... Uh, Large margin of error. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering if uh, the whole EU referendum campaign had seen the odds of the next Tory leader change a lot. Yeah, I mean, when Boris first came out for leave, his price plummeted because I think Osborne was favourite before this campaign started, but then Boris quickly became a favourite. Although confidence does seem to have ebbed away a little bit in him uh, in the last few weeks. I mean, the ones that have been backed are the, the sort of more obscure people on the leave side say obscure that's not meant to be rude but Andrea Ledson let's say Pretty Patel she's now only 20 to 1 those are the kind of people that people are looking at some kind of fresh face these that's in these sorts of circumstances it's not often the front runners who win it's somebody who's slightly new um, and the one big hitter who's been backed in recent days is Theresa May now I don't know how people feel about how she's played this referendum she's kind of well, she's been completely aloof from it right so, so she's probably played it quite well yeah, so perhaps she's in a good position to be yeah, the sort yeah. of unity candidate come uh, whenever Cameron steps down but you're right that's a big topic of speculation what about as well Michael as Gove what's happened since his sort of yeah I mean appearances so when he first came out for leave his odds dropped very sharply he was about a 16 to 1 shot he's now 6 to 1 uh, he did sort of try to sort of rule himself out I noticed the other day when somebody asked him about this I think Peston the other day yeah, he's certainly got a chance. Osborne's still in there at five to one. Not long ago, he was he was odds on, but um, his stocks plummeted plummeted quite a bit recently. But yeah, this is interesting as well as you know exactly when Cameron decides to go. And in fact, there have been quite a few people betting on the the prospect of an early election. Oh God, can we, talk, we just want a rest? We had an election last year. Yeah. What a referendum this year? Well, as a bookmaker, the more elections, the better. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you can see the summer holiday receding yeah. as we speak. Here. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to just touch on is obviously we know the trouble that pollsters had with the general election last year. We won't dwell on those. We won't intrude on that grief again. But what, what, what was the bookies' record on the election? Did you were you similarly caught off guard by the Tory win? Kind of. We lost a million pounds, which wasn't great. Um, I'd call that being most, caught off guard. Mostly on people <laughs> who were speculating on the Tory majority, which we, along with everybody else, thought was quite unlikely. Um, on the other hand, if you looked at the markets for which party was going to be the biggest, have them win the most seats, the polls, of course, were static all the way through the campaign, even though we now know they were likely wrong, but they were probably wrong in the same direction all the way through. But the betting markets went from parity in about January to having 
the Tories an 80% probability of being the biggest party by polling day when the polls were saying it was going to be a dead heat. So I'd call that a small piece of evidence in the favour of Betty Marcus's forecasters. Do you want to respond to that? Well, I mean, got, the exit <laughs> poll was pretty accurate. I think a little bit like you were saying, we, we suffered a little bit from having too many engaged voters um, yeah. that we were polling. And this is something that we are rectifying now. We are sort of changing the way that we calculate turnout. So taking into account past behaviour, um, reducing the, the proportion of broadsheet uh, readers that we include in our samples. So, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> I think uh, Times readers might have something to say about that. Well, it's just that it's it, you know, it's one of these things that we need to continue to test different models. Um, and we're working with other polling organisations as well um, and in a much more open and transparent way. And I think one good thing that's that's come from this is that perhaps people are now reading polls in a slightly more sophisticated way. We've never sort of claimed that our polls are sort of a perfect answer and um, you know they are only a snapshot in time there's so much particularly with the referendum that can change you know we can have a, a, a crisis um, you know we just don't quite know what's going to happen with turnout so it's it's hard to say there's still a way to go. But Mark there's definitely been a, a shift I think in the way that all newspapers report polls it's not you join this campaign we've seen far fewer straightforward front page stories declaring the result of a single poll. I think that's right. Newspapers and the public, I would say, that um, you know you can't go through the last election and have the same opinion. There is a, a difficult question for pollsters, obviously, just as there was, dare I say it, for credit rating agencies after the crash. Um, you know, do do these people get away scot free? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure it's really fair to yeah. compare us with. I think bank, so we want bankers and pollsters in jail. Quite right. Depending on how June goes, we'll put bookies in jail as well. Maybe that? journalists. For Journal- reporting whoa, 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 Sadly, the public trust pollsters uh, more than journalists. I can yeah. say. I don't think we ask about bookies. We'll have to add that to our veracity. But hairdressers. I remember doing this story. Hairdressers, hairdressers do very well. Are hairdressers trusted are trusted to tell the truth. Yeah, it's are. much more yeah, than. than that's who we should have on the podcast next week. Now, before you go. We do need to do the red box sweepstake where we ask everyone who comes on to predict the share of the vote that Remain is going to get. I will go 57-43 in favour of Remain. 57. You are allowed uh, two decimal places under the terms and conditions of the sweepstake. Or are you happy with just with flat 57? Uh, no, I'll go 57.01. Claire? I can't predict, but I can tell you that our latest poll was 55% Remain. So I'll go with that. Do you want any decimal? P- no, no. I, we can't be that accurate. Very good. Michael, well, well, you've, you've done it before, I have. You? I think I said 53.33. And uh, for consistency's sake, I will stick with that. <laughs> very good, because otherwise I'll have to redo the graph and it'll get very annoying. And of course, if you want to send in your uh, prediction for the sweepstake, you can do it uh, by email redbox at thetimes.co.uk or on Twitter at timesredbox using the hashtag redboxsweepstake. That's all we've got time for this week. You can read the pieces by Matthew, Claire and Michael about everything we've been talking about at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox, where you can also sign up to my morning email briefing. You can get in touch about any of the issues we've discussed. Lots of people got in touch last week after the interview with Steve Hilton, raising from praise for his depth of thought to mocking him for getting cross about people saying he padded around number 10 in his socks. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or via your Android device. But for now, from Claire, Michael, Matthew and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.